Hello, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. But this actually isn't like an episode of the Pick Aside Podcast because we're just doing these live reactions, so it's not a full show. But we're going to be reacting to the Knicks and Cavaliers game. The Knicks are now up 3-1. Talk about Darius Garland having stinker performances. You know, John loves to harp on other players, but when it's Garland, haven't heard a peep out of you, buddy, just yet. And the Warriors tie the series 2-2 against Sacramento. And now they're heading to Sacramento for Game 5 where it's at Sacramento. So how are you guys doing today? I'm going to start off with you, Drew. I'm doing pretty phenomenal. As you can see, I obviously have my uniform set out for tomorrow. I'm excited. I feel like it's the first day of school. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Lakers today, so I won't I won't get too giddy, too excited about it. But John knows what's coming tomorrow. I told him, I'm, I'm going to give him the night off, but tomorrow he better get prepared the for Lakers what's coming. The Lakers funeral? tomorrow whatever you say john again like i said i'm not going to go into deep you already know that it's basically your funeral at this point in time but i'm doing great saw some great basketball today knicks played fantastic warriors played fantastic so i'm ready to to chop it up and get into it how are you feeling john good definitely not the most crisp background music you and i didn't really communicate too well on that one but you i had to power I'm through going i powered today. through like hell you know, outside of Donovan Mitchell ruining my walk, my dog at the park, you know, I had a relatively fine Sunday. I'm excited to talk some ball with you guys. I mean, listen, I think the background music, it's no shame in putting it up for three minutes while while we're talking background music. The Not audience loved it. You know, John, you wanted to stop the music early, kind of like you were too quick, you know, kind of how you're too quick to judge these players. But your own guys, you're not as critical of, John. Now, obviously, if you guys are watching the stream or you're listening, Riv and Dells will not be on the show today on this reaction, but we are recording a podcast tomorrow, and we have a bunch of topics for tomorrow's show. We're going to do an NFL mock draft, the first round of it, because it is NFL draft season. We're going to talk about the Raptors firing Nick Nurse, Dylan Brooks, if you should have gotten suspended, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, if their era with the Clippers is over, what's the next step for the Cavaliers? And just preview playoff series that are bound to happen in round two. But Dells isn't here because he has work right now. And Riv is on his way back to Jersey from South Carolina. And I know you guys would have loved to see Riv on the show. Because, listen, for one, Nixon Cavs, he gave me a lot of you-know-what for saying Brunson can outplay Donovan Mitchell in this series. And Jalen Brunson has been outplaying Donovan Mitchell in this series again. And whenever I try to use evidence for saying why Brunson can do it, it's because he outplayed him before. Riv tried to negate the evidence and act like it wasn't worthy of being mentioned. And then, of course, his Warriors won, tying the series 2-2. But I don't know about you guys. I've always expected this series to go 7. I had Kings in 7 for a reason. I think both teams take care of home court. And my initial analysis on the series was both teams will take care of home court. The only thing about always when it comes to you in this King series is I won't talk about prior series, but when Draymond goes down, I'm sure you were expecting 3-0. But I wanted, the Warriors, yeah. that's what I was assuming. But again, the Warriors, you cannot fully judge them until you see them in chase. They are the best. They have the strongest home court advantage. You can talk about the environment at MSG. You can talk about, you can talk about the environment in Crypto.com. Is something about Chase and the way that the Warriors play when they're at home. It's evident. The reason why they're in the playoffs is because they're so dominant at home. This series, you cannot judge it until you saw the Warriors at home. Dominant game three performance. And game four, we're going to talk about it in a bit, but way too close for comfort. And a type of game that if you look at the Sacramento Kings, this is what's the difference between being a Western Conference Finals team and losing in the first round. A game within reach, a game that the Warriors are seemingly giving to you, you don't come out with the W, that's tough. Now we're going to start off with the Knicks and Cavaliers series because I think that's the one that happened. Well, that is the one that happened first. We'll talk about it first. And it's the series that is practically over. The Knicks, 3-1. Caval- they're up on the Cavaliers. And this is where I wanted Dells to be on the show because, John, after game one, you and I gave our reactions and you flipped. You said, listen, this Cavs depth is concerning. I have the Knicks winning this series. And Dells wanted to call you out for flipping. And I specifically heard a lot of nonsense from Dells. And I said, <laughs> listen, Dells, you're, it doesn't matter if John flips now or game five. He's going to be right either way. 
and you're going to be wrong because the Knicks are going to win this series. And now how it's looking, I mean, the Knicks have been dominating the Cavaliers and they've been winning where it matters in the fourth quarter, rebounding the ball and tangibles. And this is my gripe with the Cavaliers is that they only had two offensive players. And when one of them is not having a good game, it's very apparent. You need both of them to play like superstars in Garland and Mitchell. And this game, Garland played all right. Mitchell was horrible. He was 5 for 18, while Brunson had 29.6 rebounds and 6 assists. He outplayed him once again. And we got the R.J. Barrett game today. Uh, I mean, he was great in Game 3, great again in Game 4. And with Julius Randle not playing well, and I'm not expecting him to play well for the entirety of these playoffs because Julius Randle has already shown us what he is, R.J. Barrett stepped up. R.J. Barrett answered the criticism, all the criticism we had, everybody that was criticizing him. He answered it, He answered them in these games. Now, does that mean R.J. Barrett is now this future superstar that is a locked-in all-star year-to-year? No, it does not. It does not. And I think that every, are people everybody saying that are people saying that, Joel? Be real. Everybody, listen, it, it, you might as well, because I think nowadays everybody wants to have a gotcha moment. So you criticize R.J. for playing poorly in game one and game two. All of a sudden, he has good games, game three and game four. It's, I told you RJ was always this good. I told you RJ Barrett was like that. Listen, RJ had good games. You got to praise those good games. But let's not overreact to this guy's uh, entire future now just because of these games. And let's not forget about why all of the criticisms were warranted in the first place. That's what I'm trying to say. But ultimately... I feel confident about the Knicks. Our depth is great. We have a great team. Mitchell Robinson's defense was elite. Isaiah Hartenstein's minutes off the bench. He was amazing defensively, had three blocks. Offensively, opened up the corner threes. Josh Hart, another great game by him. He has proven to be one of the best midseason accusations that any team has had this year. <laughs> I ain't going to talk about you, John. Ah, you know, you know why I'm only, looking at If only you. someone told them. If only someone told them, man. Obi Toppin, some great minutes, man. I think Obi Toppin is somebody that is better than what his role is currently, and he can be a very good player. Emmanuel quickly has yet to get it going this game offensively, uh, this series offensively, but his defense this game was great. If Julius Randle can play to his level, Brunson continues playing at his level, and RJ gives us what he's given us now, this team can go to the conference finals because I look at the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis is injured right now. We allow some of the fewest pain points in the NBA. Our rim protection, our interior defense is elite. That's what the Bucs thrive themselves on. And the Heat, if they somehow advance, we can beat them. I think if, if the Knicks can get everything going from their pl- players, best-case scenario for this team is the finals appearance. Joel, with, with love and admiration. Love and admiration. I, I appreciate and I really do admire the love that you have for the Knicks right now. It's a love that I haven't seen out of you in some time. Get out of here. That be, that be, hey, I'm hey, come on, bro. I'm sorry. I don't. I didn't mean that. That was a little backhanded. I apologize. What I do want to say is, against Miami, no doubt, I, I like the Knicks there. Against Milwaukee, you could say that Giannis is injured. You don't know how he's going to come back into the series. How much of a factor he's going to be. I will say this: if Giannis is playing. I'm going with Milwaukee regardless. And that's not a slight to the Knicks. Your guys' interior presence has been on full effect, especially this series against the Cavaliers. Donovan and Garland really cannot drive to the basket, cannot get anything going near the cup. You see it in, in Allen where he's he's looking like the inferior big when we all know Jared Allen is a better center than Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson is making people have conversations that – are finally acknowledging how great and how much of a presence Mitchell Robinson is. The big issue with Mitch is that he hasn't been healthy. But now we're seeing on full display his defense, how fantastic he's been. And there was a part of the game where Mitch kind of was dominating both sides of the court, offensive rebounds, defensively. He really could just do no wrong in the paint. No one was getting anything on him. But this was all while Jared Allen was off the court. It's very simple to me. When Mitch Robinson is on the court, you need to match it with Jared Allen. It does not matter if Jared Allen is looking like a cone, if offensively he's not doing much. You need that big body presence because Mobley is going to get tossed around by Mitch. Mitch is the bigger, more dominant physical big, and that is an issue for Mobley. Mobley has done all right these last couple of games, but really what has been the highlight of it for me is Jalen Brunson and how fantastic he has consistently been his big time buckets 
the moment's never too big for him. It was highlighted last season, but more specifically this season, doing it in the garden. People are going to say, ah, that's a crock of shit. It really does not mean that much more. Yes, it does. This is the media capital of the world. These are the this is the biggest fan base in the world. And the fans are cutthroat. They want the best out of their players, regardless of, of what it takes. And the reason why Knicks fans, including my my great friend Joel, has been so critical of RJ is because moments like this, the players don't really live up to the hype, similar to Julius Randle. But Jalen Brunson, that's not a problem for him. In these moments, he lives for it. He thrives for it. Seeing the success that Brunson Hart has. I jokingly tweeted that Hart is the best offensive rebounder I've ever seen. That's obviously a hyperbole, but it's understanding how big the minutes that he gives them, how much he makes himself a presence down low. And, of course, I already mentioned this, Mitch Robinson, his his defensive presence, but R.J. Barrett, it's a matter of time we started to, to give him his respect, but it's not a gotcha moment because you're right. Game one and game two, R.J. was not good. But in the biggest games of R.J.'s career, back-to-back games in the Garden, he has the best two games of his young career. And this was his career high in points in the playoffs, 26, 50% from the field. RJ was huge for the Knicks. Another guy that when you needed a bucket, his finishing in the paint was huge. He was crucial to this Knicks victory. The Cavaliers, I cannot go this entire conversation without talking about them. Donovan Mitchell. I'm hearing that this guy's a playoff, all-time playoff performer, which he's shown us in the past. He, he needs to turn it on. He, he simply cannot have a performance like he had today and expect the Cavaliers are going to win this game. Because Garland, although he had six straight quarters of not being good, we're talking about game three and the first two quarters of this game, he picked it up in the second half, but even still, that's not enough. Donovan Mitchell needs to be the Donovan Mitchell that we saw game one, game two, that the Cavaliers desperately need if they want to win this series. As of right now, I'm not fully ready to say that this one is going to be over in five. I think Cavaliers do handle the game five in, in Cleveland. Game six, with the energy that Knicks fans have been bringing, it's very hard to see how this series isn't over in six. The Knicks are the deeper team. They've been playing the heart, they're, They've been playing way harder than the Cavaliers. It just seems like the Knicks wanted more than the Cavaliers do. Hey, look. Drew, you can say it. Donovan Mitchell is dog shit today. Uh, 5 of 18, starts off the game getting cooked by Jalen Brunson. This is now two straight years of Brunson absolutely dominating Donovan Mitchell. And we've always looked at Donovan as one of the most explosive bucket getters in the league. But there's a level of inconsistency in his game that we've seen for multiple years on end now. To talk about the Knicks, though, Mitchell Robinson in this series has thoroughly outplayed both Jarrett in his first playoff run, by the way, and Evan Mobley. Today, he had seven offensive rebounds to their four. Defensively at the rim, he's been a menace. And to go with Isaiah Harnstein, I thought for the Knicks, he would be a sneaky good offensive pickup for them. But defensively as well, he's been one of the best backup bigs at room protecting. On the glass, he's been solid. And he also has that offensive game as a passer, a little bit of the floater stuff. What it really comes down to is that the Cavaliers, we all praise them in the regular season for getting Donovan Mitchell. And for a second straight year, Donovan had a remarkable regular season. But we often see in the playoffs teams that have the better depth they get in on the offensive glass. They win in transition. They win the turnover battle. When you can take care of those things in a sloppy offensive series in the half court, you're going to have the edge. And so for a Cleveland team that basically sacrificed all of their depth this offseason to add in Donovan Mitchell, not only has he not been the best player in his team, which is not saying much right now, but he's not even playing anywhere near the level of what they give up to get him. That was three first-round picks. And I kind of look at this Cleveland team. They have a lot of potential. They're young as hell. But can Donovan Mitchell be the best player in a contending team? The more I watch him in the playoffs, the more I say no. It's hard to watch him defensively get blown by off the dribble as a playmaker being a turnover machine. And we've always known with him he's been a below-average playmaker. And this is kind of coming from a Donovan Mitchell fan. He hit the world by storm in his rookie season. By his third year, 36 points per game in the postseason. But there comes a point where you keep progressing. You keep getting outplayed by Jalen Brunson, a guy who many Nick, not only Nick fans, but the entire NBA world more so, completely overlooked. They wrote off because most Knicks fans are hoping they can get Donovan Mitchell. And it turns out the Knicks were right this offseason. They were right the entire time. Not only has Jalen Brunson been better in the postseason than Mitchell for two straight years, but they kept all of their depth that is currently outplaying the Cavaliers' lack of depth due to how much they invested for a star in Donovan that I'm going to continue going back to it. He's just not playing at the level number one right now. 
and I look at Darius Garland's Drew, you're talking to me before the show, and you're saying a little bit of some disrespectful stuff about how he had six terrible quarters, which is true. But we mm-hmm. did see him in the second half start to attack and stop settling. And I think Agreed. that's where Garland's at his best. When he's trying to take the jumpers and he's airballing a couple of them, he gets into his head a little bit. But for a young guard in this type of environment where he can do the most damage is in the in-between area, getting by his man off the dribble. And I feel like in game five, the Cavaliers are going to win at home. The issue kind of is this was the biggest game of their season. And Donovan was 5 of 18. He couldn't get to the rim. He couldn't make a three-pointer. I just, I, I don't know what the ceiling is with this Cavaliers team. Like the more I watch him just lay an egg in the playoffs, not deliver for his team. It's like, guys, <laughs> we have invested three first round picks into this player and we're getting outplayed by a New York team on the podcast. We were talking about what's the Cavaliers floor this year. And I think Riv and I are going back and forth. Riv said their floor was a second round exit. I said their floor was the first round exit to the Knicks. And I think they've got a lot of work to do, not only this all season by building a better bench to compete with this Knicks team. Cause the Knicks bench, everyone's ready to play. I mean, Miles McBride, Deuce was awesome in his five minutes coming in for Quentin Grimes. He didn't even play today. We didn't even see Quentin Grimes. I mean, he quickly didn't make a shot. But the Knicks are so many two-way role players that have gravity offensively and on the defensive end are always in the right spots and make the right plays. I mean, a lot of credit deserves to go to Tom Thibodeau. Um, I, I think he's done a really good job this year at the bench, and that continues to be a difference maker. And the Cavaliers getting dominated by the Knicks, truly. Joel, I know you're looking at your chops, and I know you're looking like you want to say something and to, to rebuttal or rebuke whatever John's going to say. But real quick, you mentioned Obi Toppin in the minutes that he played today. It was unbelievable, and something I never would have guessed in a million years that you would have told me that Obi Toppin would be in a closing lineup for the New York Knicks in the playoffs, which translated to a New York win. Now, Obi Toppin gave them some solid minutes, no doubt about it, defensively, hit hit a couple shots big time, no doubt. But really, the defense is really why he was so prominently needed. It was shocking that Julius Randle had just been playing so poorly that Thibodeau had the confidence in himself, the trust in himself to make the decision to give Obi those minutes. And in the end, you have to give Thibodeau his due diligence, a round of applause, because that was an excellent decision and one that ended uh, ended up playing in the hand of the favor for the New York Knicks. You know, Drew, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going to touch on that before I go and uh, talk about what I've been looking at my chops about. Because John is a funny guy. I'm going to mention why you're a funny guy in a bit, John. When it comes to Obi Toppin and Julius Randle, Tom Thibodeau made the right decision benching Julius Randle in that fourth quarter. Julius Randle, it's about time he answers the call. And this is a wake-up call for him, getting benched in the closing lineup in the fourth quarter of a crucial playoff game because Julius Randle, for his entire playoff career so far, has been disappointing. I mean, between him and D'Angelo Russell, I don't know who's worse. It it might be Randle slightly. It might be Randle. Come on. Unnecessary. People forget. The reason why the Knicks drafted Obi top in eighth overall was because he was supposed to be the Julius Randle replacement. But then Randle had a shocking All-NBA season that surprised all, that surprised all of us. That does not mean that Obi Toppin cannot play. Obi Toppin is one of the players right now in the league that I view as a guy, if he had more opportunity, would put up so much better numbers and would be a much more respected player in this league. I don't use per 36 often. I use it when the sample size warrants it. Obi Toppin per 36 as a rookie, 13 and 7. His second year, 19 and 8. This year, 17 and 6. Obi Toppin, if he gets starter minutes, is an 18 and 8 guy, could be a 20 and 10 guy one day. And if he ever somehow leaves the Knicks and has a bigger role, or maybe the Knicks trade Randall and give Obi a bigger role, he can be a legit 16 and 10 or 20 and 10 guy in this league. I, I believe in Obi Toppin's skill set that much. And Coming into the NBA, he wasn't known as a good defender. He's improved defensively under Tom Thibodeau, and he has some really good skill sets. He's a great slasher. He can finish around the rim very well. He can now shoot with some consistency, which is huge, and he's very athletic. Now, five offensive rebounds today, five more than Randall. Yeah, I mean, Julius, I mean, Obi Toppin gets after it, and his, his energy is infectious, and whenever you see those highlight dunks by him, it just – further proves that point now when talking about Jalen Brunson I mean Jalen Brunson I always knew he had this in him I I I called him being an all-star and although I wasn't very high on the Knicks coming into the year as a top six seed I did have them in the play-in and 
when it comes to the Knicks, all everybody wants to mention is how I don't watch them. It's because of the blackout. I'd watch them much more if they weren't blacked out in my area because I don't like using illegal streams. But that being said, before the season, Jalen Brunson's breakout, I was right about. Quentin Grimes' breakout, I was right about. And his 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 role on this team, I was right about. R.J. Barrett, I'm glad he had this moment in the playoffs. I, I truly did. But there's a reason why I picked the Knicks in this series over the Cavs and why I've been a believer in this matchup all along. Because, John, you're going to talk about how you had this debate with Riv, blada, blada, blada. Before this series, you took the Cavs to win. When Damn it was right, a pick yeah. a side episode, when I came back from my vacation, when it was me, Dells, and you sitting at that table, I was debating you, sir, on the Cavs and Knicks series, and you said you don't think the Cavs, you don't think the Knicks could win that series. So I don't know where yep. this Riv debate is coming from because when I've been debating you, it's always been the Knicks didn't have a chance. And you know what? Here's what I'll tell you. I said a lot before about how poorly Donovan played without giving any credit to Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson has had just about everything go right for him the last year. He dominates in his limited opportunity with no Luka in three games, beats Donovan 2-1 to one against Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert last year was arguably the defensive player of the year, and Brunson took control. And that entire five, six-game series hit four turnovers. That was it. And then this year for the Knicks, he comes in, and for a team that was starved of a starting point guard, having had 13 different point guards in the last 14 years in opening day, he came in and immediately was the best point guard they had in years since Raymond Felton. That was the best point guard they've had since like 2008. And then they become a top three offense. Top three. Best in the Eastern Conference. In part because of their offensive rebounds, but also because Brunson fit right in line with their identity. He's a gritty, undersized, overlooked guard. In college at Villanova, two-time champ, overlooked, went to the second round of the draft. Why? Because he was older, smaller, and not athletic. In Dallas, he maximized his opportunity. He comes to New York, and for a second year in the playoffs, he's thoroughly diced up the defenses. And even in a game like Game 2 where he shoots 5-17 from the field, there's a control to his game to where even if Randall's struggling to handle double teams, Brunson is so quick getting to his spots, it's hard to double-team him. And his touch is so good in the in-between space, he hasn't been affected at all by these cast bigs. And these are two seven-footers that were Evan Mobley, a defensive player of the year candidate, and Jared Allen, an all-star last season. So for Jalen Brunson, who to many people is the third best guard in the series, to be the best player altogether, it speaks to not only him being the franchise pillar for this Knicks team to build around with all these draft picks and young players they have, but it's also the reality there's no better point guard for New York. He's in his entire career been overlooked, and he's always maximized his opportunity. I feel like he represents the city better than no other. In games where their offense gets nothing going in the half court, he's the one that grinds it out hits tough shots, gets to his spots, and is really unguardable. I mean, I, I mean, Drew, I mean, Drew, I understand your hand is raised. I mean, John, you're doing as great of a job as Javante Davis did yeah. dodging Ryan Garcia's punches as I did making my statements towards you. Ultimately, you you did not have any belief in this Knicks team. Now the Knicks are up there about to win a series, and now, and oh, we should have saw this coming, John? You want to know why I had what no is faith it? in them? Because I knew Julius Randle was going to be terrible. We don't got to talk about him. But what I thought was Donovan Mitchell would be better than Jalen Brunson. And I was flat out wrong. I thought last year was a Good. little caveat. An aberration would be the better word. But that's actually the norm. Jalen Brunson has been a better player performer than Donovan Mitchell. And if that's the case, how much better is Donovan Mitchell than Jalen Brunson? A guy that most people have as a first-team All-NBA player. In the regular season, Drew, he's better. But Brunson's game is a lot more aligned on tempo, pace, and he's consistent. He's, he's not much better. Here. That's that's the that's the statement. And I hope my Wi-Fi isn't going in and out. You're right good. Now. You're Great. good. Do you? Do you? Wi-Fi is perfect. Like Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is defenders. Mitchell is not a much better player than Jalen Brunson. And that was my point in my series analysis when I was talking to Riff. When I said Brunson cannot play Mitchell. Listen, Mitchell averaged 28 this year. Brunson averaged 24. That's not a big gap in players, given that the Knicks have more offensive options than the Cavaliers. Mm -hmm. And I said that I don't know if you guys remember this, but a while ago I said this. Although I'm a big fan of Donovan Mitchell's game, and I think he's a fantastic player. When he dropped 71, I wasn't ready to say he was a better player than Devin Booker. I didn't say that. D. Book was still my best shooting guard in the NBA. I've said this for a while, and this series just further proves it. Donovan Mitchell has plateaued. Is he a great player? Yes. He's an all-NBA performer. 
but there, in my opinion, there isn't another ceiling to his game. He's no. reached the player he's currently going to be. A great offensive engine who has inconsistencies, who defensively doesn't offer you much. He is not capable of being the best player on a championship team. If the Cavaliers hope to make deep playoff runs in the future, it's going to be reliant on Evan Mobley's development. Evan Mobley is the key guy in this Cavaliers core that has to develop his offensive game because this series has shown us that he has much to be desired offensively. Mobley has to take that next step for the Cavaliers to reach their ceiling. And given the congested lineups of the Cavs, I think Jared Allen has to be a prime trade candidate this offseason to try to flip him for a wing that can defend the perimeter so they're not so congested and they're more spaced out and then you move Evan Mobley to center. But ultimately, I believe Mitchell has plateaued. There isn't another level to his game, and they need Mobley to become that guy in a couple years. Which Joel, is kind of the issue. Joel, that's tough. That is very tough because the way that I've seen Mobley get handled down low, obviously he's the, the defensive player of the year. He knows how to, to, to no, talk do that a shit, decent real. job. Talk that shit. Mitchell Robinson's making him look like a little child when we understand that's just not who he is. And, and Jared Allen, where I'm not going to disagree with you. Do they need wing depth? Absolutely. Isaac Okoro, Seti Osman, it's not going to cut it. I don't disagree. But the disrespect on Donovan Mitchell's name right now, am I disagreeing with you that he has played poor these last two games? Absolutely not. Can we sit here and still acknowledge that he needs help? Darius Garland was supposed to be this number two. He's been extremely inconsistent. Evan Mobley, I agree with you. For them to reach that next level, Evan Mobley is crucial. Why is that? Because his defense is already elite. He's already one of the best defenders in the game. What he needs to take it to the next level is, is with his offense. Because this team desperately needs another person that could go get a bucket that is not Donovan Mitchell. Because it's very evident, and it's what the Knicks have done. They've tried to take Donovan Mitchell out of the game. They try to make everything as uncomfortable for Donovan as they can and let these other guys on the Cavaliers beat them, which is... As as of right now, the Knicks have done a successful job of doing that. I think that we're being a little bit too critical on Donovan's game. We understand that he is still a great player by acknowledging that he's played poorly these last two games. And where we can, we can put blame on Donovan, which I'm sure he would do himself, we have to sit here and understand that the Cavs need more offensive creators. And Garland needs to be better. Mobley needs to be better. This offseason, if you're going to try and get rid of Jared Allen, Mobley needs to hit the gym and start lifting some weights and get a little size to him because Mitchell Robinson has been having his way with him, and that simply should not be the case. I mean, for sure. Evan Mobley will only bulk up. He's 21 years old. No doubt. When it comes to Donovan Mitchell, I may have been harsh in what I said, but it's 100% the truth. Donovan Mitchell can't be the best player on the championship team. And I think that people, when it comes to guards, have to stop taking that statement so personally because yeah. the only guard in the last 20 years to do that has been Steph Curry at the point guard position. And I, I, I say the point guard position because although Mitchell's a two guard, he is the size of a point guard. He's not a traditional shooting guard who has 6'5", 6'6", 6'4", height. He's a 6'1", undersized guard he can be the second option he has to play off another star and that's what I think Mitchell's role is if this team is going to be maximized and I, I said it when I said it last year when he was still in Utah I'm saying it again he is not the guy to be the best player on a championship team he's just not and part of the issue with the Cavs is that yes Donovan Mitchell doesn't have much support, but great players do overcome that. They score more than 79 points in Game 3. For as bad as Darius Garland was, in the second half of this game, he brought the Cavs back into it to the point they had a lead in the third quarter. Donovan was nowhere to be found. He had a rough game. The limitation with his game is that at six foot three, he's not an elite playmaker. He's not a good defender. Six, in the regular season, he was a really good defender, like really good on the ball. He was getting into guys, but Garland's defended better. He's not getting cooked at the point of attack as consistently as Mitchell. And the third element is, like, against rim protection, there are, there are series, there are games, there are moments where he's just not gained to the rim and finishing consistently. He tried to dunk and drill his Randall in this game. I thought he was going to throw it down and hard. He got rejected. And that was kind of just like the culmination of this series for Cleveland it could not have went really worse for the guy they invested half their team and half their draft equity into. John, this is where I disagree with you. Donovan Mitchell, underwhelming so far for sure. You're giving Garland a pass here. 
Garland has not Garland. been much better. And that's Mitchell, exactly what I was about to ask you. Is Garland the third best guard in this series? Looking forward, are you taking Brunson or are you taking Garland, John? Honest question. Well, I'm, I'm taking Jalen Brunson one because he's under more control and he also dictates the flow better. But here's the issue here. This is Donovan Mitchell's sixth playoff series. Sorry, his sixth play. This is his sixth year in the playoffs. Correct. This is Darius Garland's first. So if Mitchell's been in the playoffs every oh, year Darius of his Garland. career, yeah. I don't expect him to take this huge dip where he's just nowhere to be found. And I'll give Garland that pass because we're seeing glimpses of it. In game one, they didn't put him on the ball, and he had a mediocre game, one assist. That was pretty bad. Game two, Agreed. he lights it up. He looked like the best player on the floor pretty easily. Game three, he couldn't buy water. He couldn't hit water from a boat. It was bad. It was hard to watch, right? He went, what was it? Two of 16, two of 15? Four for 21. Four for 21. Not good. Yeah, before garbage time. So that was his floor. But how did he respond in game four? And so if he didn't have 23 points by end today, controlling the game, gaining back into it, I would be on here right now saying Darius Garland, just like Donovan, play like shit. Uh But – he stepped up big time, and he showed when he's playing aggressive, he's getting downhill, he's running pick and roll, and he's also not settling for those jumpers when it's not going in. He's just a more, I think, complete player than Donovan. Oh my God, let's 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 cut the let's cut the crap, please. My God, John, just say Garland played horrible, and they all your you said all that just to summarize. Horrible this in is, game three. This is, and the first this is half. my was this it, is man. this is my summary. In game one. He was me, he was mediocre. He this was is mediocre. my summary. This is my summary to to everything you just said, John. Garland had one great game, two mediocre ones, and one really bad one. Well, Donovan Mitchell had one great game, one really good game, another game good one. game, and a really bad one. Donovan was them, great in game one. He, he was, was great in game one. He had 38 one. points. What are you talking about, about, John? He was amazing. Took him 28 shots to get there, my he friend. Was took amazing. him 16 yeah, jumpers. Yeah, because nobody else was willing to shoot on Cleveland. He was amazing in game one. And that's your bias showing. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, I think both deserve blame. You're just giving blame to Mitchell. I think Garland's not capable of being a first on the team anyway. He's not He's not capable of that either. Right. What are we talking about here? But he does both, compliment both, a star better deserve, than Mitchell as a shooter playmaker. And this is the thing. With Donovan Mitchell, this is the difference between you and I when speaking about him. I'm critical on Donovan, but I'm all listen. I'm pr- this guy is also he's had amazing playoff moments, and Absolutely. based off his history, he deserves some leeway for not having the best of series. You cannot say, Oh, Darius Garland, yeah, the outlook on him is just all sunshine and rainbows, but for Donovan Mitchell, it's gloomy. Be, just because of his past two playoff series, that's not fair to do to Donovan Mitchell. He was awful last year, Joel. He was healthy. Uh, he wasn't healthy last year. Any better. And you and you'd like to say that this is Garland's first playoff experience, but again, we understand that last year, where he was awesome against the Nets in a clincher, that he could have that he, the Cavaliers were winning by double digits at one. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be. Can you close those doors? Can you close the doors? So like the I don't hear the shower like that. Yeah. Thank you, babe. Can you hear it? Nah, nah. You're good. Covering my nutritional basis for the day. Literally couldn't be any easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing each morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. It's a win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash pick That's athleticgreens.com slash pick Check it out. Point against the Atlanta Hawks, he simply did not show up. And now for over 50% of this series against the New York Knicks, Darius Garland has not been Darius Garland. So but you know, this is where my conversation with John stems from. I need you to ha- have accountability for your for your guys and not just place blame solely on one than the other, where you could say both, but in my opinion, Donovan Mitchell has 
played excellent game one, played very well game two, game three. No one played well on either on, on, excuse me. No one played well on the Cavaliers at all in game four. Obviously, Donovan didn't have it. Yeah, game I, two, I really he was getting Donovan was excellent in game one. He was good. Game, he was pretty game, good. He had 38 but... points. Yeah, what are we doing? Come on, 30 man. shots. 16 he, had, from three. he had 38 points in the fourth quarter. He was out dueling Jalen Brunson. He stole the ball from him late and got a layup. The Cavaliers right. were so close to winning that game. They came back because of Donovan Mitchell. What are we doing here, John? What are we doing here? That that I don't he was think amazing that was in game near. one. He was amazing in game one. Oh, okay, but, but yeah, John, he's what had thirty-eight? Because he's had fifty-point yeah. games in the playoffs before. That's right. why. Let's. What listen. thirty-eight point per game performance are we looking at and thinking that it wasn't great? I don't know. I just don't think that was one of his best games by any stretch. And it was a good, really good great. game. I mean, I mean, listen. I mean, Drew. Of course, shots, probably Drew. Get Forty. Of no? course, th- this thirty-eight point game by Mitchell in game one wasn't one of his best games because he had seventy-one before. He's had yeah. fifty in a playoff game before. So you're right, John. It might not rank top five in his greatest performances. Doesn't mean it's not a great performance. That's a great. If that was Darius Garland, you're over here singing his praises. Oh my right God, now. he's oozing. Mm-hmm. He'd be unbearable, honestly. And also, I want to say this because. Um, there is a reason why to stick on the Knicks, then we'll move on to the Kings and Warriors. There is a reason why, if you ask any Knicks fan all year long, who's the better player, Randall or Brunson? Everybody that watches this team consistently would say Jalen Brunson. Although Randall was all-star in name, Jalen Brunson was the team's true all-star. And I think this playoff series has just made that more evident because he's the better clutch shot maker in the fourth quarter when defenses are keying in. He's the guy we go to. Rando had a bunch of boneheaded mistakes throughout throughout the regular season in the fourth quarter. He's cost us some games. Now, Rando's an excellent player, but somehow, some way, he has to find his rhythm, man. He has to find his rhythm and perform well in the playoffs because I know he's a better player than this. And I know if he plays better and up to his potential – the ceiling for this Knicks team becomes even that much higher because I know Jalen Brunson will show up. R.J. Barrett, when he's aggressive and attacking downhill and setting the tone early offensively, he's he's doing his thing. And Josh Hart, Josh Hart is the perfect example of how one man's trash is another man's treasure. The Portland Trailblazers traded him for a protected first-round pick and Cam Reddish. And the Knicks got one of the best role players in the NBA. He's even more than a role player. He's starting for the Knicks. Game one, 17 and 10. Game two, 13 points, four for for five, six rebounds. And game three, he had 19 points and seven rebounds. Josh Hart has been one of the best role players in the NBA this season, but he's more than that. He can be a starter. His play in transition, his hounding defense, his rebounding has secured us possessions that prolong our offensive stretches. Josh Hart has been, I can say, a top three addition midseason by any team. I think the Clippers buying out Russ was a huge one. That might be number one given the playoff series he's had for them thus far. Number two, the additions the Lakers made have to be Thank up you. there. Thank you and then number much. three, Josh Hart to the Knicks. And the Knicks got a steal trading for Josh Hart. He's completed our rotation. Only reason, hey, I would put the Lakers one is because we're a completely different team now. We weren't on a trajectory to make the playoffs before those moves were acquired. Then we turned into one of the best defense, the best defense since the trade deadline. But other than that, I agree with you. Russ has been fantastic. And Josh Hart, you said that he's given you extra possessions. He's won you games because of his rebounding. Today yeah. was a prime example of that. His ability to to rebound off on the offensive side of the ball won you guys this game. So, yes, absolutely. Josh Hart needs his flowers. He has been fantastic both sides of the ball. The heart that he plays with, no pun intended. He plays with so much energy. This means the world to him, and he wears it on his sleeve, and it's shown every single time he steps on the court. It's pretty crazy he's never playing a playoff game up until this series because he is the guy that's built for the playoffs. And, you know, when they first acquired him, I said, well, you need to shoot in the backup Quentin Grimes. How is this going to work? And, well, he fits exactly what the Knicks motto wanted, what they wanted it to be, which was attack the glass, get out in transition, and win games through the possession battle. I mean, he's playing 40 minutes in the playoffs. So, you know, between that and Rui Hachimura to the Lakers, those are probably two of the moves I'll eat my, uh, my humble pie on. Because, look, not too many people expect Josh Hart to be a guy swinging the first round of, of the Knicks' first round playoff series. And if I'm not mistaken, Josh Hart was a centerpiece for the trade that sent him to Portland – 
when the Pelicans got CJ McCollum. Facts. Yeah. And now looking at that Pelicans roster and, and probably thinking about what they needed, it probably would have been better to keep Josh Hart instead of giving CJ that extension, given what they needed. I understand getting CJ midseason last year was a huge boost to their team. It was. But Hindsight. based on this play this year, it now it's looking a bit questionable. And, of course, Portland trading him for Cam Reddish, who, let's face it, he will never lo- live up to his hype. And no. a protected first-round pick, we're, we're not sure where going to land yet. I have to shout out Villanova basketball players. Jalen Brunson becoming a star player with the New York Knicks. Josh Hart becoming one of the better glue guys in the NBA. Mikel Bridges. Uh, he got a, there you he go. Got a, Mikel Bridges got an advanced opportunity like Jalen Brunson, and he's showing out to be an all-star level player too. And he's somebody that I'm looking at his game, and it will for sure translate in the playoffs in the first round. He played amazing versus Philly. And then for the Warriors, Dante DiVincenzo. I was going to say, on a lesser defense, level, no doubt. His energy. Villanova basketball players, this is a big win for Jay Wright because no he knows how to develop talent. Jay Wright, know how to play Jay, all of them. I was, Jay Wright's one of the best college coaches. If you talk about the Big East, that's probably the best college coach in the history of the game he put on for the Big East, made people care about the Big East again because of how dominant Villanova was. Absolutely, Jay Wright. And the way that he develops his players is one one of a kind, truthfully. Yeah, Kyle Lowry's also another one, but, you know, Kyle Lowry is not the that same. Was yeah. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. We're talking about currently. I understand Kyle Lowry is a Villanova legend for sure. He is. Now, um, interesting stat before we move on. The New York Knicks own the three three of the five worst offensive performances by the Cavaliers the this year. Yep. The Cavaliers, three of their five lowest scoring games this year have come at Madison Square Garden. Two yeah. of them being in the playoffs. Correct. Yeah. That's they a don't. They don't love that energy. Mm-mm. They it's do not. Lights are too. Lights are too bright. Warriors. Kings. The Warriors beat the Kings one twenty six to one twenty five. Harrison Barnes had a wide open three after Steph and Draymond doubled De'Aaron Fox, and he missed it. It looked like he was good. Was, exactly. Exactly. It looked it, like it was cash. It was supposed to be redemption. Harrison Barnes, game winner, Warriors, putting up the Kings 3-1. That's the storyline that should have been written after this game. But now I got to look at the Warriors, tied a series 2-2, 126-125. Even when the Warriors were down 0-2, you can never count out the champions until they're fully knocked out. You can't do it. Out. Game 3, in my opinion, was a must-win game for Sacramento for the sole reason that if you can go up 3-0 against the Warriors, with Draymond being out, you lock up the series. But the Warriors winning a game without Draymond gives them an energy boost. They now win game four. They now have momentum going into Sacramento. And that's going to be a dogfight. And I think each team's going to take advantage. They're going to take control of their home court. So I think the Kings do win next game and go up 3-2. But this was crucial, losing these two games. The Kings have been one of the best road teams in the NBA. And this is a game that the Kings shot well. You know, all series long, the Kings have not been able to shoot well from three. Last game, they were below 30%. Game two, they were below 30%. And this game, they shot 40% from three. Keegan Murray had his first good game of the series, having 23 points. And this is the Keegan I've been expecting. Now, like collecting infinity stones, we got to get Kevin Herter as that last stone to have a big time game because he's just went missing these playoffs. He's like Joe Harris for the Nets. He just hasn't, yeah. he just forgot how to shoot once the playoffs started. Have you guys seen the stat where Kevin Herter in game seven versus the Sixers? We talked about this on our last show. Had 27 points brought into the conference finals. Outside of that game, Kevin Herter is shooting 29% from three in the playoffs after today, where he took one three pointer and only four total, 21 minutes per game. He is due for one big time. And as you said, Keegan Murray today, five threes. He was the one who was kind of getting the treatment of, okay, you start the game, you start the second half, then after that you're done for the game as a whole. But he was also getting on the offensive class, making those plays. This is what we come to expect out of him, especially as a guy that is 22 years old, is ready to contribute. And I um, I watched this game and I couldn't help but think to myself, it really did slip right out of the Kings grasp. If they came back and won this game after the Warriors – I guess we would call it epic debacle at the end. Steph tries to call a timeout they don't have. Clay Thompson hits a rebound and it bounces off of his hand. The Kings get the ball back. They get a second chance to score. And just like in game one, or Andrew Wiggins got an open three to, I think it was to win it. Maybe it was to tie it. Barnes, I thought, had won in the game before the shot went up. 
and he has been really good for them all series, but ultimately it goes back to game five. And we look at this as fair play. The series really hasn't started yet because no road team has won. And, you know, for Golden State, I really feel like a lot of people have kind of overlooked the value of continuity for a contending team that, look, their bench this year has not been good at all. And even in this game, Dante DiVincenzo led them in minutes after Draymond, who came off the bench. He only had a few points. I still got them winning the series in seven games, Drew. Uh, Drew and the more I looked at how well Steph was able to play today, how well Andrew Wiggins played, he's shooting seven of 12 all in all for this Warriors team. I think I feel a little bit better about them after this game coming out slightly narrowly gain out the victory because that could have been a disaster that would have ended the series right then and there. But now that they escaped that Kevon Looney's playing well, I know that Devontis early in the game has given him some trouble, but, the, but by the end, Domas was struggling offensively. I feel really good about this Warriors team's ability to defend Domas and those DHOs that made the Canes great. And man, I'm not backing down my pick. I got dubs in seven. What do you uh, mean you still have you, the Warriors you, winning in thank seven? Thank you, Joel. You had the Kings winning the series last episode. Did I? Explain. Explain yourself. The third. I'm going to have to get you guys matching jerseys, man. This is I my goodness. I, mean, I my said goodness, the Kings John. won game three. And to think, to think Joel, this was the guy that you were trying to defend. You were trying to defend him yesterday in the group chat, trying to say, hey, what's the difference between what you're doing with the Suns and Clippers and what John's doing with the Kings and the Warriors, what well, he's no, doing no, with no, the Knicks listen, and the I, I stand by that, but what John— You're going to stand on that? John, John just did it again, though. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what you're he's losing about. me. He's losing me like hell. Now, before I go crazy on John, because we— I, John, you're really, you're really getting underneath my skin. This shouldn't be the case, all right? The Warriors— tried to do everything in their power to allow the Kings to win this game. Steph Curry had a masterclass disaster at the very end of this game. And how, how can we say that when Steph Curry efficiency-wise was amazing? Of course, had over 30 points, shot almost 50% from three. He was phenomenal scoring the basketball. But in the last three minutes of this game, Steph Curry was not good. I will say... Before I start to to criticize Steph Curry, because again, offensively he was phenomenal. Riv would be a he would be so disappointed in me if I did not at least acknowledge how fantastic not only Steph was, how great Clay was scoring the basketball. Jordan Poole was very good today. Defense obviously is always going to be a minus with Jordan Poole, but Steve Kerr deciding to challenge that that moving screen on Kevon Looney. Was was really what led to the technical foul and the Kings being able to have a chance to get back into this game. But what really upsets me is that yes, you're Steph Curry. You have to be mindful of knowing what the clock, what, how much either one, what's how much time's left on the clock, and two, how many timeouts do you have? You're the leader of this team. You're one of the all-time greats. It's a mental error. It happens to the best of us, no doubt. But you're smarter than that. You're Steph Curry. That can't happen. And then. You got to make one of the two shots. You're Steph Curry. You, you simply have to be better than that. And we've seen it earlier in this series where Steph Curry had an opportunity to tie the game, send it into overtime, got a, a way better look than most anticipated, wasn't able to sink it. Now today, he gives the, the Kings every opportunity to get back into this game. People are trying to say that was not a good look. You could say you didn't like the, the play design. That's different than it wasn't a good look. Because most definitely, Harrison Barnes had way too much space. The double came to Fox, rightfully so, because Fox was unbelievable. You could say that De'Aaron Fox has been the best player in this series. He has been unbelievable every single game. You bring the double team to De'Aaron. Harrison Barnes is wide open. He made the, the smart basketball play. He needs to make that shot. And when he let it go, I gasped. Because I firmly believe the Kings were walking it off. Way too much space and the shot looked cash. You can't be upset at the at the shot. You can't. It's simple. The same way that you weren't upset at Wiggins, you can't be upset for Harrison Barnes. You can be upset that Harrison Barnes missed because of his history. But it was a wide open shot. A shot that I believe was going to go in. But John, now I have to address this. You're unbelievable. You're unbelievable. Because you know what? I I, I have what a hard time about? with flipping, flipping sides. And... For you to do it not once but twice in a series, it's unbelievable. And Riv, I see it in the chat, is having a stroke himself. What do you mean you're going to stick to your guns? Even when Draymond Green was suspended, I didn't flip. I still believed in the Warriors. 
you were shameless. You said, ah, it's done. Draymond Green, no Draymond Green, it's over. And now, now that you see the Warriors at Chase, which is what you should have done, you should have trusted the Warriors play in Chase Center, the best home team in the NBA. Now you're back on the on the Warriors saying that you're sticking to your guns. Right. Well, I said if the Kings beat the Warriors in game three because Draymond was not playing and defensively they didn't have him to defend the best offense in the league, then yeah, I would have the Kings really? completing a That's series where they'd have a three-game advantage. Yeah, no shit because no one's but, ever blown a 3-0 lead ever. But if the Warriors won that game, with Steph Curry playing out of his mind with no Draymond, with the team benefiting offensively with more added space, they're starting Jordan Poole, who still didn't have his best game up until today, where he's starting to look more and more healthy, then that changes everything. Because that game right there, making it 2-1, to one, gave the Warriors the advantage to come right back into it. That was Listen the most – that was no, no, let me finish here. That was not only the most important game of their season, that may have been the most important game since Game 5 against the Toronto Raptors in 2019. That game right there decided whether or not they would have a chance to repeat this year. And they called up the deck. They came like, bro, they were Steph, down 2 1 against the Celtics in the finals. That's Steph in a do or die game had one of his best playoff games of his career, leading the Warriors to a game four to where now they tied up. And I was impressed that they were Jordan Poole. He's looking well healthy. John, listen, He's Joel, getting to the balance a little listen, bit. I felt like with him and Wiggins playing as well as they John, did, this enough, bro. Golden State. you're losing me. Listen, John. For a long time, I've told Drew, respect John. And I still respect you, man. I, I, I think, respect him. I think everybody should respect you I don't you know more. why Drew's saying I'm losing saying But I will say this. After we did our game one reactions, right? Lakers are beating the Grizzlies now. Knicks are beating the Cavs now. The Kings and Warriors was the other series that I believe you changed your pick on. And we're going to have Santos pick a side meme account runner. Look up the tape of you. I still respect you, He's John. But fried. I feel, listen, and listen, I'm, I'm going to say this because I don't think, because flipping is just another word for changing your opinion. That's what it is. I don't think changing your opinion is wrong. Granted, new evidence, right? Because just how you changed your serious prediction, Drew went from calling the Suns a super team to saying he, so he might he might pick the Clippers in the first round to win. I did and now, not say that. Stop it. Stop it. I said you I said, might. Yeah, come on. You're going to fault me I for said. that, for sticking to my guns, but it entering my mind. I mean, I'm you human. changed your opinion on the Suns. Exactly. We're all human. We, have, we all change our opinions. I said they're not winning a championship. Are they coming out the West? As long as my babies are in there, no one's coming out the West but us. Now, listen, here's the thing. We didn't even talk about the biggest adjustment that the Warriors made, and that's Draymond Green coming off the bench. That's 100%. the biggest adjustment. 100%. Having the Warriors have two bigs on the court at all, at all times was a big key in this game. Kayvon Looney and Draymond Green damn near had the same stat line, and it's now making Draymond expendable. In the offseason, now I know that's that's looking a bit too far ahead, but this is the greatness that exists within the Golden State Warriors. We know about Steph Curry. I mean, Steph Curry is a hum, human torch. This guy, it, his threes just sink your heart to your stomach. They're no demoralizing. Doubt. But when it comes to the Warriors, the unselfishness about this team, Steph Curry being as unselfish as he is, he's the most unselfish superstar leader in the history of the game. Letting Kevin Durant come in, come in, be the best player, deferring to him. And for Riv watching in the chat that loves to discredit KD, there are a bunch of clips that have Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and more players on those Warriors teams that have said, Kevin Durant doesn't come. We don't win no championships. And Kevin Durant made Steph a better player because the Warriors always lacked that player to just go and get a bucket and have a killer instinct. That guy was KD for the Warriors when he was there. Steph Curry, playing with KD, learned that. And now that's in his game where Steph Curry's a killer in those late-game situations 100%. Klay Thompson was unbelievable. When I look at the Warriors and just how, how they're playing right now, I do think the Kings still have a chance in this series, and I, I'm still going to stick by my Kings in seven take because I'm expecting the Kings to play better. I'm expecting Malik Monk to play better, Sabonis to play better, and I will say this. Although the Harrison Barnes three-point shot was a good look, I will say this. 
I'm not a big fan of giving Harrison Barnes a last shot. I understand De'Aaron Fox was double teamed. Harrison Barnes was open. But at that point in the game, he was one for five from three. If the play was an ISO for De'Aaron Fox at the top of the key, what is the smartest What is the smartest lineup for him? You know they're not going to cover Domas with space. You know that they're going to sag off Harrison Barnes. I don't care that Kevin Herter has been off this series. He's a better shooter than Harrison Barnes. I'd rather him on the court. My five-man lineup for the last seconds of that game would have been De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter, Malik Monk, Keegan Murray, and Trey Lyles. I would have went with a spaced-out lineup, give De'Aaron Fox space to work so you're not comfortable double-teaming him because you don't want to leave shooters open. And listen. I'd rather live with the Kevin Herter miss than a Harrison Barnes miss, miss mm. because I, I think Kevin he's just a better shooter. Harrison been, Barnes Harrison's been playing better this no, series H- overall. Harrison Barnes has been playing better this series than Kevin Herter, but this series Harrison Barnes is still shooting below thirty percent from three. His three point percentage is damn near Kevin Herter's. The only good three point shooting game Harrison Barnes had was in Game Three. Harrison Barnes is shooting in the twenty percent of this game from three, so he has not been shooting well from three either. So that's why I would have liked a different lineup out there. And you also didn't need a three. I mean, you had you had right. a couple seconds left. You were down one. You didn't need a Harrison Barnes three. You didn't. I'll tell you what. There was a few possessions there in a row that the Kings settled for jump shots. And Doris no Burke was – they were drilling. They, yeah, she was drilling the Kings. And, and what they were doing right on cue, Darren Fox just nails a three to put it within one. I felt like that was pretty funny, but Doris was 100% right. They were settling. They weren't trying to get to the basket. They weren't giving the ball to Domas, trying to get where Domas, I want to give him his respect as well. He's been asserting himself in the paint, trying to bully around Kevon Looney, especially early on in the game. We saw Domas really be aggressive down low, but try and get him involved, run some pick and rolls, get to the basket, get to the cup, but really... They didn't. They settled. And even still, they almost came out with this win. Again, I said it earlier and I'll say it again. The Warriors tried their hardest to give the Kings this game. This is one of those games that you look at if you're the Sacramento Kings. This is the difference between you being a true WCF contender or being a true finals contender and being a first round exit. You have to capitalize on these games, especially on a team as experienced as the Golden State Warriors. So this is one that that I'm sure the Kings are going to want back. But game five, game six, it'll be super interesting to see what both teams do. Before you go, John, to that point, in the fourth quarter, there were plenty of times where the Kings were down to the game was tied. And in crucial possessions in the half court or in transition where the Kings had opportunities to take the lead, they simply flopped. They had missed jump shots, jump shots that went short. Malik Monk turnover, Malik Monk forced layup to the basket. De'Aaron Fox passed to Domas, DeMontis Sabonis that went out of bounds. They just had too many mistakes down the stretch when they had moments to take momentum and take complete control of the game. They just were not able to capitalize on those moments. And that's why I have the Warriors winning the series. DeMontis, for as amazing regular season player as he is, is very limited in the fact that for mid-range, he's not very threatening. And he was getting those looks. He's been getting them all series long. And the Warriors are fine to let him take that, right? He's going to work on them, but it's not something that's going to win the, the Kings this. And part of De'Aaron Fox making the pass out to Harrison was that just like Steph, after playing 40 minutes, Fox was, he had a lot of miles. He's had a lot of miles in his body. He was gassed by the end of this game, big time in the fourth quarter. And I just look at this Warriors team with how well Clay's playing. Jordan Poole getting healthy with that leg, which was not right early in games one he and two. He played well today. He played very well. And with him being the starting lineup, I love Draymond coming off the bench just because it opens lanes up, and then he comes off the bench and immediately chipping at De'Aaron, doing a great job switching on to him. And Fox still, of course, had, what was it, 38 points? Yeah. But I just feel like the difference in the series is the Warriors' experience. And while, yes, they have not won many road games this year, Game 1 was one of their best road games. And I feel like when they start to make shots, you have this team flowing and you have these last two games be Ws, that was really the two most important games because you had your back against the wall. And that showed me this Warriors team's resilience. And uh, real quick, I guess as for the flipping point, I think flipping in this playoff run is kind of reasonable in some ways because we're learning a lot about a lot of these teams, right? Look at the Phoenix Suns, right? A lot of people like Drew are calling them a super team. Changing your changing your changing your prediction mid-series and changing your prediction again is not is not cool in any point that here is that. In all of these series, we're learning a lot about these teams. Cavaliers' first playoff series, 
I expected Donovan Mitchell to be the best player on the floor and Darius Garland to be the second or third. But it's been kind of the polar opposite. It was unexpected Jalen would outplay them. When then you're here's this Kings Warrior series, nobody seen like the worst this year without Draymond were the worst defense in the league. So it makes sense going to a game three without Draymond. They're going to lose that game probably, right? But it turned out without Draymond, they got one of the greatest games of Steph Curry's career in the playoffs, and that shifted everything. So my reaction came from it was a reaction simply Draymond being suspended and the panic moment of. Your back's against the wall, and you're missing your most important defense. You're just you're just justifying what you did, but you're not right. you're ignoring what you did. Hundred percent. You did you did change your pick. Now listen, yeah. John. Before a playoff series starts, you're accounting for all those adjustments to happen, and ultimately picking your team. Before the series started, I said the Kings would take care of home court advantage. The Warriors will take care of home court advantage, and that's why I have the Kings in seven because I think the Kings will win Game Five. Warriors win in game six, but the Kings can still win that, and they, they're going to win game seven. Listen, that's why I think each team takes care of home court. And game four at Chase and game one at Golden One was basically the same thing, but just flipped. Game one, Andrew Wiggins had a game winning shot and he missed. Game four, Harrison Barnes had a game winning shot opportunity and he missed. It's the same type of game that's happening right here. They had the game three was a dud by the Kings. There's no doubt. But this series is going to go down to the wire every single game for the rest of these games, I believe. I'm with you. Yeah. I think that the Warriors, though, I think that their game one and game two were both within reach. Both games that I look at that th- that I thought the Warriors could have won this game more so, obviously, game one than game two. But both games were within within reach. Game three was was very one sided, it seemed. But game four, you're right. Very similar to game one. Kings had the opportunity that they just simply could not seize. So it's going to be very interesting to see, more importantly, because there's going to be six games, but that to, the next game, game five, is really going to tell you everything. Because if the Warriors win game five, it's a wrap. The Kings are not winning game six. I they could win that. game six at Chase. I disagree. I just think that the, the Warriors – I understand where you come from, no doubt. I disagree. I just feel like at, at – Chase Center, the Warriors are just a different team. They play with a different type of energy. The defense is night and day. It shows in the statistics. At away, they're 27th ranked. At home, they're third. So I just think that at Chase Center, there's no team that has a better home court advantage than the I mean, Golden listen, State Warriors. That, that's, all, that's all nice and dandy, but the Kings just dropped 125 at Chase. No doubt. No doubt about it. I'm with you there. I still, think, I still think? believe the Warriors are just a little bit more – more experienced and more ready for the moment as where Keegan finally showing up was a step in the right direction, but it's seeming like you're saying the last infinity stone I'm with you. It seems it's one person or, or the other game to game. You can't rely on people consistently. Keegan was phenomenal tonight, but is it going to translate into game five? Is it going to translate yeah. into game six game five? For sure. I think Keegan has a great game at home. Uh, maybe not 23 points, but I, I, I do think that game five, Back Maybe not just Keegan. I'm more so saying everyone as a whole. I think Kings. I think Kevin Herter will have a big game. Game five. I do. Okay. I'm it. All right. All right. We'll I'm, I'm, I'm iffy on that one for sure. Because he's due. He's due. That's what's I making believe me say it, that. I believe in Keegan. Herter is a question mark until I see it. What and happens in game five? Mind. What happens in game five if Domas, as we see in this series, is he being given the mid range jumpers? He's not scoring. He's struggling in the half court offense. I'll Where does him. Mike Brown go in terms of that lineup down the stretch to close? I mean, listen, I think people are overreacting to Domas's performance in game four. He had 14 points, seven rebounds, and eight assists. He was efficient. He shot 50% from the field. He wasn't hurting his team. He, he was, was battering he, Looney in the post early. He, he was, was good defensively. I think Sabonis is realizing he's not going to force the offense. That mid-range jump shot, I think he was one for two on it today. He had two of them. He, he made one, 50%. I mean, just but because – how the Warriors are playing him. Yeah, for sure. They're going to play him like that. But also, when you sag off of him, it also gives him a dribble to gain momentum and to ram into Looney and hit a layup. He had a couple of those in his game. Now – I think Sabonis, maybe he's not going to have 25 and 13. Maybe he's not going to have that type of performance. But I, I do believe that him being what he, him doing what he's doing now is freeing up everybody else. Keegan Murray had a bunch of great looks because of Sabonis' screens. Kevin Herter, he just, he just has to wake up. I think he wakes up. It opens up the floor for Sabonis too. Because yeah. right now, Golden State, they're not really respecting Harrison Barnes' jump shot. They didn't respect Keegan's either because Keegan has been off this series, and they're not respecting Herter. 
until you give the Warriors a reason to start respecting these jump shots going in, then you're going to open up the floor for Sabonis because now, right now, they're just collapsing on him. And I think game five, they're going to get those looks because all series long, Kings have had open three-point looks. They just haven't been making them. That's very true for Kevin's case. But I ultimately think what it comes down to against Raymond and Kevon Looney together Look, DeMontis Sabonis is limited in this environment, and I think what's going to come down to you for Sacramento is De'Aaron Fox really outplaying Steph Curry. And that's where I'm like, I'm betting on Steph here. Like, how well he's played the last couple of games, it is really hard for me to look at Domas, even defensively, where he's going to find a job switching and just being like, look, he's going to be able to play well enough for them to overcome this Warriors team. Hey, look, just like the Kings, they're shooting better and playing their best offense now relative to those two road games. I think... The Golden State Warriors are truly turning a corner, as we say. And the last thing I want to say on the matter is fourth quarter time is De'Aaron Fox. And when De'Aaron Fox is being as dominant, as efficient as he's being, especially in a game like today, it's hard for them to just flip that switch and say, hey, DeMontis, go get us, go get us a bucket, especially when Fox is cooking as much as he is. So it's, I just feel like that's a minor adjustment that needs to be made, just getting Sabonis a little bit more involved down the stretch because you don't want teams to just completely understand, all right, you, we know where the ball's going. It's De'Aaron Fox or Bus. DeMontis uh, Sabonis is simply just too good to allow that to happen. He needs to be a little bit more aggressive down the stretch, I agree. But other than that, the first half is what he needs to carry over to the second half. Understand that he's still a dominant force down low. You combine that with De'Aaron being Mr. Fourth Quarter, then this is a different story for the Kings, but until I see that, I'm still riding with the Warriors.